0: This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Habakkuk, or if you prefer, uh, Habakkuk. Uh, Wherever you want to put the accent, (laughs) it's okay, because I don't know Hebrew anyway, so I won't be able to correct you. I think that's one of the things we're going to find out when we get to glory. Where's my mic? There it is. If we do get to meet, uh, and I'm going to assume we will... We do get to uh, have a little chat, you know, session with uh, Abraham and Moses and Isaiah and all these different ones. Uh, Maybe one of the first things they tell us is, "Look, you—I don't appreciate you mispronouncing my name." <laughs> uh, that'll be all right. All right going to read again what we read this morning, which is verses 12, and actually I'm going to stop in chapter 2, verse 1, so um, chapter 1, verse 12 through 2, 1, and, and we read most of that this morning, but really um, what I focused on in the uh, message was verse 12, so we're going to try to go beyond that this evening. Let's, let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, uh, Lord, for your goodness and grace and mercy towards us. Lord, the, all the blessings that uh, are a part of the knowledge of you, everything we've been seeing about here tonight, the fount uh, of uh, blessings that flow to us, we thank you for. We thank you, Lord, that you're our, uh, our, our fortress. Lord, that we're safe and secure. In you and that the victory is sure. We thank you that you are are our king, that we're able to uh, come, worship you. Lord, we thank you that you've chosen us to be members, citizens of your kingdom, even of your household, your family. Lord, that you've called us even now to be lights, truth bearers in this world. And, uh, Father, we thank you that uh, you've not left us to ourselves. You, you've, you've called us. You've equipped us. You've given us your word. Uh, Lord, you've given us the indwelling presence of your own spirit. Lord, all of these things we want to recognize tonight and offer thanksgiving for. Lord, as we consider this passage before us, uh, Written hundreds of years ago, years ago, and yet we find relevant for today. As again, as we consider it, we pray: open our understanding, uh, enable us to uh, grasp the truth that you've given us here, and enable us to apply it to our lives in such a way that we would be effective in the ministry and that we would bring glory and honor to your name as a result. We thank you again. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment, O rock. You have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours, when the wicked devours a a person more righteous than he? Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet. Because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Amen. It's an interesting way to finish that little prayer, isn't it? He uh, ends it with the thought of being corrected. (laughs) I'll wait to be corrected. Well, how. Uh, Often we need uh, uh, correcting because of the way we think about things and about God. And uh, God in His mercy, long-suffering, as He does with Habakkuk, is faithful to do that. Now, I want to just imagine something for a moment. Um, Not a pretty scenario. (laughs) Imagine that a, a, a prophet stood before us tonight... As, uh, as citizens of the United States of America, uh, imagine that a prophet stood before us and said, um, destruction is coming soon. And, and, and let me just, this is just hypothetical, but, uh, so, so let me give it a little detail. Let's, let's just say that the, this prophet stands before us and he says, the Lord is raising up a people uh, in the Muslims who will destroy your culture. And they're violent people. And uh, they don't, you know, they, they don't have mercy. And they move in and they take over whole countries and cultures and, and change the culture, uh, do away with the culture that you're so comfortable with, familiar with. And they're idolaters. They they serve a false god. And yet the Lord is going to use them to come in and correct, or that is bring judgment on this culture because of your, and this society because of your wickedness. Now think about that for a moment. Now I said it's hypothetical because I'm not. Uh, I'm not a prophet standing before you um, making that, direct, that declaration. Uh, I will say that I don't think it's all that far-fetched. Um, that is, that they are being used in such a way. Although, I don't think I would limit it to that one group. I think there are more things at play than just them. But the reason I ask you to imagine that is, is this. Um, that's essentially the message... Habakkuk had for his people. You, you have. He, he is saying in this in this prophecy to the uh, to the nation of Israel. You have rejected God, and here's the outcome. God is sending a nation of people. In this case, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. He's sending a nation of people more wicked than you to. Judge you, Or Habakkuk would say, more wicked than us to the Israelites. He's sending a nation more wicked than us to judge us. Now, I gave you the little hypothetical scenario just to kind of bring home to you the reality of that, what, what that would be like. I mean, that's kind of what I would equate it to in our day. Uh, and I do think to some degree uh, that's happening, and, and it, may be, uh, it may well be a, a form of judgment. But again, I I say that just to to show you the difficult message that Habakkuk had. And it helps us understand also why it was difficult for the people to receive it. It's not the kind of word that uh, they wanted to hear. They want to hear about deliverance. They want to hear about God raising up another king or another judge in Israel to lead them into victorious battle. But instead, at this point, he's saying, No, the one who's going to be victorious is your enemy, Nebuchadnezzar. And you're going to be carried away into captivity. Um, There's going to be hardship. There's going to be suffering. Now, one thing that's interesting about this, that... uh, I think I've already pointed out, but I want to mention it again. Is the fact that even though Habakkuk is a man of God here, he is true to the Lord. To some degree, he's going to be included on it, in this. To some degree, he's going to, he's going to suffer because of the sins of the people of Israel. Because of, we might just say it this way. To some degree, he's going to suffer because of the sin in this world and because of the sinfulness of his society. Now, Jeremiah had to carry this same message during this same period. And if you've read the book of Jeremiah, you know what kind of response he got. And so the nation of Israel suffered because of their sin, and men of God men and women of God um, who, who were faithful to the Lord, who believed, such as Habakkuk and Jeremiah suffered as well for their righteousness, because they stood for the truth, because they believed and were faithful to the Lord. So there's judgment for sin on one hand. God is judging His people for their sin. And on the other hand, the righteous also suffer just because, basically, because they're living in a fallen world. And this is where it becomes, I think, real relevant for us. Now, when 9-11 happened, you probably remember... Uh, some people were were quick to say one in particular comes to mind, but some people were a national figure, not not somebody I know personally, but a national figure. Uh, some people were quick to say that this is God's judgment on America for you know X, y, z. I mean he, he he mentioned specific things. That I, I don't know. Um, it makes sense. In a way, some of it does. But, uh, I mean, again, as I mentioned this morning, you think about it. uh, uh, How many unborn children have been murdered in this society since 1973? But I I think I can say this for sure. I can't make that statement for sure like that person did. And and he did uh, recant later. (laughs) Uh, He did back off of it later. But I can say this for sure, that we're just going to have trouble in this world. We, we live in a Genesis 3 world. There's just a lot of sinfulness. There's just a lot of trouble, as Habakkuk describes, uh, violence, strife, contention, uh, injustice, perverse judgment. It's here, and we're not going to go through this life without being touched by it. We're going to be, as Lot was, vexed by it. Uh, we're not going to go through untouched. So I, I wouldn't look at every tsunami and every um, you know terrorist attack and hurricane and all these different things. And, and I probably wouldn't advise looking at those things and trying to figure out exactly what God is judging us for there. But I will say this. There's just trouble in this world. And it is due to sin, at least in general. Now, you know, Katrina may not have hit because of some specific sin. Like, you know, uh, I remember the day that was going on. One lady that I worked with was kind of, uh, she kind of viewed that as, you know, New Orleans, a sin city. So good, God's wiping it off the map. Well, I don't, I don't know about all that business. Uh, I mean, if he did, he'd be just to do it. But then again, he'd be just to do that with Halton too, wouldn't he? Uh, So, I mean, we have sinners here, too. (laughs) Just like they do in New Orleans. But we just live in a fallen world. And so hurricanes happen. Earthquakes happen. Now, God's in control of them. He could stop them, couldn't he? And as I said this morning... Uh, we, we do need to recognize that he has purpose behind it. That doesn't mean that he's going to let us in on exactly what that is. So we're somewhat in the dark. I mean, number one, we know bad things happen because there's sin in the world. Number two, bad things happen, but we don't know specifically why this particular bad thing happened. Right? But we know that God's in control of all things, and therefore, he's got some purpose behind it. This is the message of Habakkuk. He's just God's message to Habakkuk, which gets uh, transferred to us through this book. But God's message to Habakkuk is, you just trust me. You You just trust me. Now, as I said this morning, uh, even here, though Habakkuk starts out complaining, um, and you know, if if we're if we're all honest, we'd have to admit to that, wouldn't we? I, I, I've I've heard people stand up and and talk about being mad at God. Personally, that's always made me cringe a little bit, and I wouldn't advise getting mad at God. Okay, I, I don't know. I mean, God, but but I think we all complain from time to time. And that's what Habakkuk is doing, complaining. And yet, we saw this morning in verse twelve, after he gets the first answer from God, Habakkuk says, "Why, why is there wickedness in the land?" Essentially, is this question he's talking about the nation of Israel. And God says, and he's asking God, "Why do you tolerate this?" And God says, "Look, look at the nations. Here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, and they're going to judge Israel." And then he goes through. Um, talking about how wicked they are and how mean they are. So Habakkuk is saying, why is this here? And God's saying, look over here, because there's, there's even more over here, and it's even worse than you were probably thinking. Uh, a nation worse than you is coming in to bring judgment on your land. I am going to bring, bring judgment on the nation of Israel, but I'm going to do it through a people who are more wicked than you. And so Habakkuk uh, comes back, and in verse 12, as we talked about this morning, expresses uh, confidence in God's character. Very important because it's still at this point, he's still asking questions. He's, he's, he's still not understanding why these, these things are playing out. But when he goes into his second question in verse 12, he does it by beginning with uh, expressions of trust. You are from everlasting, O oh Lord, my God, my Holy One. We shall not die. The answer that he got from God first almost sounds like they're going to die. But, but Habakkuk is thinking, surely not, because you're my God. You're my Holy One. You, you're our Lord. You're the everlasting one. You're our rock. Surely you'll preserve your people, well, many of them did die, of course, but uh, just generally speaking, he he did preserve the people of Israel as a people in Babylon. And then in verse thirteen, he goes on to talk about um, God's character. You you are of pure eyes than to behold evil. See, he's still confused by this whole thing. How can evil be in the world and God tolerate it? Because God is holy. He recognizes here, after God's first answer, verse 12, You have appointed them, so he's so he gets it. I mean, you've appointed them for judgment, but he's still not understanding why. How can a, a holy God use the Babylonians, pagan? nation to overrun his own people, the Jews. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously? And that word look there is used repeatedly here, by the way. But uh, it's, it's, it's almost the idea of observing. Like, and that's why some translations use the word tolerate. Because it's like standing back and watching. Why do you tolerate? Why do you tolerate the treacherous or those who deal treacherously? And why do you hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? And that's, that's what uh, Habakkuk is, is seeing here. Um, we're bad, but we're not as bad as they are. <laughs> so why do you let them come in and conquer us? And then he goes into this analogy, this fishing analogy, verse 14. And notice again, he's asking a question. He's acknowledging that God is behind this. Why do you make, and we talked this morning about the sovereignty of God. He's acknowledging that God is behind this, but he's still raising the question. How can this be? How can you do this? Verse 14. Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook, they catch them in their net and gather them in their drag net he 's using a fishing ana- analogy to describe uh, the uh, the conquering of the of the Babylonians they They're sweeping that whole land over there, as I mentioned before, uh, conquering uh, the Egyptians, conquering the uh, Assyrians, they conquered Nineveh, and then uh in, in 597 uh, BC, they, they conquered uh, Jerusalem and, and took the people off to uh, to captivity. So he's he's using this analogy, saying that they are like uh, they're dragging nations in and just I mean just devouring them, destroying them. It's like it's like fishermen dragging a net and just taking in all of these fish. And he says, why why are you letting that happen? Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? In other words, he's, he's saying it's like they, they're, they're not accountable to anybody. They're not being held accountable for their actions. They, they have, they're not being governed. They have no ruler over them. They're just, they're just doing according to their will. Remember back in verse 7, in, in uh, the Lord's own description of the Babylonians, he says, they are terrible and dreadful, their judgment... And their dignity proceed from themselves, or as I mentioned this morning, the NIV says they are a law unto themselves. So it's like they have uh, Habakkuk is saying, it's, "It's you've made them like fish in the sea who have no ruler over them." So it's like they just do whatever they want to do, and they don't have to pay any price for it. They're not they're not held accountable, and they're just they're just dragging their net over all of the Middle East there and. Conquering people who are less righteous than themselves. And they're prospering. Again, verse 15. They take up all of them with with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet. Because by them... Their share is sumptuous. Now, it's interesting. And he's saying, their God is their military might. They think they are it. And nobody can take them down. And, you know, that's the way it was playing out at, at this particular point. They, they were conquering. I mean, Necho, uh, uh, king of uh, Egypt, they were a mighty power. But... The Babylonians took them out. Assyria, uh, the capital was Nineveh. They were a great power. The Babylonians took them out. And they, were, they were just running over everybody. And they sacrificed to their net. Again, using his fishing analogy, he's just saying their own strength is their God. And again, they're not being held accountable. They're getting away with what they're doing. They're living in prosperity because by them their share is sumptuous. That is, by their net, their dragnet, uh, again, analogous of their military might. By their military might, they are, they are prospering and their food is plentiful. And then in verse 17, essentially, he's asking the question, Lord, how long? How long? That's where he starts, isn't it? In chapter one, two, verse two. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not say. Now in in, uh, verse seventeen, he ends his prayer with that same uh, same question: Shall they therefore empty their net? And continue to slay nations without pity. You saying, is this going to continue? Or are they just going to keep on? You know, just, just drag the net across there, uh, wipe a nation out, empty the net, drag it across there again, take in another load. Is this just going to continue to go on? Are they going to continue to prosper in their wickedness, in their idolatry? In their cruelty, or are they going to continue to be successful? Well, again, there's there's a couple of ways this could we we could apply this, isn't there? I mean, one thing we still do see these kinds of of uh, troubles you know, between nations uh, today. Um, we still have people trying to conquer other people. We have uh, cultures trying to overtake other cultures in our, in our own country. Um, in our own country, I think it's been more like the, uh, the uh, everybody's heard the little analogy of the frog in the pot of boiling water, and uh, the, the, it happened. The water heats so gradually that the frog just never jumps out, he just stays there and eventually. Uh, he, he dies. He, he boils, and I think in our own country it's been a little bit like that. There have been things happening, and our culture's changing. Sometimes for the good, but but often for the bad. And uh, it's, it's just like that gradual boiling pot. Sometimes uh, it's it's not that subtle. Um, <clears throat> A relative of mine, um, in a, uh, uh, a sarcastic way, put a post on uh, Facebook not too long ago, and put um, "Mohammed is, I don't know, the fastest you know growing name you know as far as popular names. It's like growing faster than any other. There's something to that effect. I can't remember the statistics, but they're saying the name Mohammed is rapidly." Catching on, blah blah blah, and then put get used to it and I responded to her and I really did try to do it gently because I really wanted to be heard and not not uh, you know not just have a deaf ear turn to me, but um, I basically said you, you they have real intentions. And this may sound crazy. I know it does sound crazy to some people. But they have real intentions of ruling the world. And they're patient. They're not in a hurry, but they they do intend to do it. And I suggested to her that she look at a map of Africa, if she had any doubt, uh, that they're not having some success. And I also suggested to her that she not only get used to the name Mohammed... But that she get used to wearing a burqa, um, it's because <laughs> <laughs> they mean business. Now, I don't know if, if they will succeed. Uh, you know, we've got a big controversy, and I'm, I'm getting a little sidestepped here maybe, but, but, I, but it's for a reason. I'm just trying to give a couple of ways of applying it. Um, I don't know if they will succeed... And, uh, you know, ultimately, here, you know, we've, we've got things going on that, that, that are shocking. I mean, there's, there's, they're trying to build a big mosque right now at Ground Zero. Um, but somehow, way, eventually, and it may not be by Muslims at all, it may be a totally different group or, you know, a whole multitude of groups. I don't know. But eventually... This country will come down, one way or the other, from the inside or from the outside. No nation here lasts forever. Eventually, it's coming down. But let's just say, let me go back to my hypothetical uh, scenario that I gave earlier. Let's just say they did succeed here in our lifetime. What would be our response to that as Christians? In other words, could we, could we go into a change like that trusting God? And I, and I don't think this, one reason I ask this, is because I don't think this is totally hypothetical. Now, the scenario I gave you, yeah, I just made it up, fiction, but there are changes coming, there are changes happening. Again, I think the bottom line, and I know we've said this before, but the bottom line is, is Jesus enough for us? If, If everything else in this world that we hold dear goes away, changes, gets corrupted, whatever, is Jesus enough for us? The Old Testament nation of Israel had a, had a good thing going. They didn't always recognize that, just like we don't always recognize that. They had a good thing going. God set up that country. Not, not America, but but the Old Testament nation of Israel. God set up that country. And and he was their primary ruler, right? They had a good thing. They had the house of God, which under the Old dispensation was a literal building, the temple. They had true worship. I mean, they worshiped the, the true living God. When, when they were doing right, they had the best legal system in the world. And, you know, I mean, God himself was setting down the rules for justice. And as far as they would follow those... Uh, you know, it was it was all good. Well, this this was what Habakkuk was used to. This is where he lived. It's where Jeremiah lived. This is where Nahum lived. This is where all the other people lived, what they were used to. And the message of Habakkuk is, this is all going to be taken away. This is all going to be taken away. And so, God's going to have to be enough. He told them through Jeremiah, look, this is the Lord doing this, and if you resist, you're going to die. You run off to Egypt, you're going to perish in Egypt. If you stand up and fight, you're going to die by the sword. But if you'll submit to God's will and go into captivity, you've got to think again for a moment how hard a thing that is to hear. The prophet of God telling them, the enemy's coming. They're going to be victorious. What you need to do is submit to them and let them take you away. And the Lord said, if you do that, in other words, if you trust me, if you do that, He said, I'm going to prosper you in Babylon. And that was done too, wasn't it? And uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego... And sure, many others that we don't know about, they were they were carried away, submitted, and prospered by God in a foreign land. But but every everything uh, common to them, everything comfortable to them, was gone, and they became the subjects of foreigners. Now that could and I'm not predicting it's going to happen in our lifetime. That could very well happen here. If it did, if it did, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Could you go into that, trusting God? Here's the other thing, and I think I think this in this way too. It's it's uh, definitely uh, re- relevant. I, I don't know how things are going to play out with the United States of America. I don't know. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, we thought sure at some point the Russians were going to push the button. And, uh, and then we were going to have to push the button and, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to get far enough away from Barksdale fast enough. Uh, so, I mean, we're pretty well all going to be annihilated pretty quick. And we, and we thought pretty sure, you know, that's going to happen, uh, you know, soon. But now the Cold War is over, a whole different situation. I don't, I don't know how it's all going to play out with the United States of America. But I can tell you this, as Christians in this world... according to the bible we're going to have trouble we're going to have hardship we are we are folks we are in a foreign land this is not our home and if we submit to god and do his will he's going to he's going to prosper us here but that doesn't mean that we won't have any hardship, we may very well still be faced with hardship. Let me me show you something uh, real quick. Look look at uh, Philippians. I am going to come back here in a moment, so you might hold your place here, but look at Philippians chapter 1. A while ago, I was sitting in on... uh, class that Zachary was doing did a, did a great job, too, Zachary, by the way. Um, but I was sitting on, on the class that Zachary was doing, and he touched on uh, a little bit, uh, mentioned what Paul Paul went through and his sufferings. and uh, This, too, will kind of help you see the, the mindset here. Here, Paul is writing to a church, believers at Philippi. Verse 27, chapter 1, verse 27, "...only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, But to you of salvation. And that from God. For to you it has been granted. I want want to notice the wording here. Notice what he is saying to the church at Philippi. I want you to be terrified by your adversary. He's talking about real adversaries there, real persecution. You know, not not just worrying about somebody writing a bad article about you in the newspaper or something, but I mean, he's talking about, uh, you know, real suffering here. He says, I want you to conduct yourself worthy of the gospel of Christ. Verse 28, not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which to them is a proof of perdition. I mean, they'll think, well, yeah, surely you are uh, crazy, I guess. Uh, but to you... Of salvation. It will be proof to you of salvation from God. And then he says an astounding thing. Verse 29. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. For to you it has been granted. It's a gift. Paul is saying, God has has given you a gift. In fact, he's given you more than one gift. He he has granted on behalf of Christ, that is for the sake of Christ, for the glory of Christ, he has granted um, faith that you may believe in him. That's a gift of God. It's like Ephesians 2. We're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. Paul says... God is granted that you believe in him. Now, um, not not everybody even agrees with that line, you know, but uh, but I think probably most of us here would. We understand that that faith is the gift of God. God gives it on behalf of Christ, because of what Christ has done for us uh, and for His Lord. But He's given the church at Philippi another gift as well, a gift. it's It's granted. On behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. How's that for a word of encouragement from a pastor or evangelist? God has granted that you may suffer for Christ's sake. Look at Acts nine for a moment. Now, this is this is Paul, everybody, or most of you are probably familiar with Paul's own. Conversion experience, he was traveling on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians when uh, the Lord Jesus appeared to him in, in the form of a bright shining light, brighter than the noonday sun. And uh, uh, Paul um, well, saw the light and uh, submitted at that point. And then Jesus sends him to the house of Ananias. Because Paul is blinded when he sees the light. Jesus sends him to the house of Ananias. Says, Ananias, I pray for you, and you'll receive your sight. Verse 13, uh, Ananias answers the Lord. This is a conversation between Ananias and the Lord. I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. Telling Ananias, You go pray for Paul. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles. Now, remember, Paul told the Philippians, God has granted to you that you may believe in him. Well, Paul has lived that, right? Because here Jesus says about Paul, he's a chosen vessel of mine. It's it's been granted to him. I've chosen him for my work. So it's been granted to him to believe on me is essentially the same thing. So he tells Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Um... That's a word from the Lord, isn't it? I mean, a lot of times we think, oh man, I'd like a word from the Lord. Suppose that was it. Suppose he said, I want to show you how many things you must suffer. There's evil in this world. Now, Habakkuk is learning through this experience, just what we're talking about here, to trust God. He starts out with the question, God, why aren't you doing something? There's evil all around me. There's trouble. There's strife. There's injustice. Why aren't you doing something about it? God answers and says, essentially, uh, like we talked about last Sunday, I am doing something just not what you expected. I mean, you're not recognizing what I'm doing, because this is not the way you would think it would be done. But I am doing something. Judgment is coming. And though Habakkuk doesn't understand, he's, he says, Lord, you're from everlasting. You're my Lord, my God, my Holy One. I know you'll preserve us. We shall not die. Now, again, as I said this morning, I think those are expressions of faith. He doesn't understand how this is all going to play out, but he, but he makes this statement, we shall not die, expressing his belief that surely God will preserve his people somehow, even though God has just announced the destruction of the land. And now he finishes this set of complaints slash questions. Um, Chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand my watch, set myself on the rampart, and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Again, it's interesting that he says that. He basically says, Lord, why are things this way? I don't understand, but I know you. You're Lord. You're my Lord. You're my God. You're my Holy One. You're from everlasting. And so here's what I'm going to do, Lord. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to listen. Hear what you have to say and how I answer when I'm corrected. So he's he's still, in all the confusion, um, trusting God. I'm going to trust you. And I told you when we started, he starts out complaining, but we're going to see when we get to chapter 3, he winds up praising God doesn't give the kind of answers that he probably wanted, but nevertheless, he just trusts God. Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. And real quick, as we close, uh, just... Ask yourself, in the world I have tribulation. How can I be of good cheer in tribulation? How can I prosper in a foreign land where pagans rule? How can I how can I be satisfied? How can I be content when Everything that I knew and everything that made me feel secure and comfortable is stripped away. And again, I think the answer is that that can only be if Jesus is enough. That can only be if Jesus is enough. In the world you have tribulation, be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. We're in captivity now, so to speak, but it's only temporary. Babylon is not our home. One day we're going home. John Piper has a great saying that I'll leave you with. Um, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Whatever comes in this world, whether it's some kind of national chaos, or whether it's just... uh, trouble in our own life, hardship, sickness, disease, whatever it is. Our calling here is to be satisfied in Jesus. He's got to be enough. He's got to be enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your Word and for these words of encouragement from Old Testament saints. Who lived by faith. They were people just like us, but Lord, by your grace, they stood. And Lord, that's what we pray for as well. By your grace, make us stand, make us effective. In carrying the gospel to people around us. And Lord, whatever may come uh, in our society, whatever may come in our personal uh, life and our personal affairs, may our joy truly be in you. And may you be glorified in Christ's name. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church 6304. Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.